Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppsFlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppsFlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppsFlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at IronSource. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. Well, all right, welcome, 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 everybody. This week in Gabe's episode 150, we got the whole crew, the double Eric's, the one and only Adam, and myself, Mishka Katkov. Everybody is already hating on the fact that I'm going to cover the uh, the, Be- the BeatStar article. But other than that, we got a good show coming up. We're going to talk about Apple, that they must allow other forms of in-app purchases by the rule of, ju- of a judge in Epic versus Apple case. We got Adam Adam's deep games for the masses, and then we're going to talk about the App Store is the game store. Apple Apple should recognize this. Eric Super is going to cover it. So anyway, how's everybody doing? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, why are we coming Breedster again? I thought we just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the week yeah. before, and then the RPI was kind of low. But I think it's very interesting to cover it. And I was explaining myself. Like it's interesting uh, to cover <laughs> not only because it's an it's a good game, and this is a game podcast. Just just 
hello, like we, we talk about games here. Okay, well, next <laughs> week we'll cover the yeah, deconstruction but... of uh, Northgard again, and then we'll keep going? All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I think there should be some like material threshold to what we cover, and this certainly does not match that criteria yeah. at all. But, but it's no, posted on some blog kind of deconstruct. I'm, I'm not taking these discs at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a couple of updates. So I've been, I've been, I'm not, I haven't been really following the China thing, but I've been just putting it always in the updates. But it seems to, you know, there's always new stuff coming out out of China. So out of, as of late. Chinese regulators have temporarily slowed down their approval of new online games in the country, dealing a fresh blow to video gaming companies like industry giants Tencent and NetEase. And I don't know what they've slowed down from before, but I know that at least previously it was already really, really difficult to, soft, to launch games on mobile in China. So last week, the Chinese authorities called Tencent and, and, and NetEase for ear bashing over new gaming restriction for kids. The publicity department of CCP and the National Press and Publication Administration have called the major gaming publishers for meeting. Many parents have expressed concerns that kids can't find workarounds to circumvent playtime restriction on the games. As a result, kind of like three things that I can take out of it. So first of all, Tencent and NetEase shared more than $60 billion of value as investor fear, fears grow that Chinese regulators are preparing to tighten the grip dramatically uh, on the world's largest gaming industry. Number two, Eric, you actually wrote this in Mobile Dev Memo that this pushes even further the Chinese publishers to do investments outside China. And number three, just thinking myself is, since they've been so, for, like the games that they've been making internally for the Chinese market, if they are truly locking it down and they can't make games, at least that many games, shouldn't that lead to a lot of studio closures inside China? That's just you know the way the way that I'm thinking about this. So these three pieces. Any additions regarding this? What's happening in China? Well, today they just announced that they're also going to impose new restrictions on casinos in Macau, which is like the Las Vegas of, of Asia. So the casino operators won't, and this is like real money, physical mm -hmm, in-person mm -hmm. gambling. The casino operators won't be able to operate in the same way they have been. I mean, this is like a pretty sweeping, wide, you know, reaching kind of crackdown on gaming in general. It's not just sort of like video games, interactive games. Yeah, it's like a cultural. It's a cultural crackdown. It's not even. You know what I mean? They're 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 trying to change the culture <laughs> with the, with legislation. Like the cat's out of the bag. I don't know if you can really do that, but I guess in China you might be able to do that. I mean, that's crazy, dude. The opposing party is not going to say anything about this, so <laughs> you know. So anyway, people, remember to vote. Uh, so <laughs> going to the, uh, the next topic, Stillfront acquires Jocker for two hundred five million dollars. So this week, the publisher Steelfront announced that it has acquired mobile game developer Jocker. The company will pay 74% of the amount in cash, 26% in shares. The transaction is said to be complete October 4th. And with this acquisition, Steelfront aims to expand its games portfolio and grow its presence in Middle East and North Africa regions. I don't know anything about Jocker. Do you guys... What? <laughs> these, all these guys are doomed. Absolutely doomed. All There's right. just no way you can grow organically with 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 what they're what they're pulling together here. Like, what's the multiple? Know, there's nothing here. left to, left. To... What's the multiple here on the two hundred five? Like, how much revenue is a lot. is Jawaker actually making versus some of the other acquisitions? 
Well, we don't know. We're not in this market. They might be a big player in Middle East and North Africa. Like, we don't know. They might be a pretty significant player. And... Dude, those, those markets are mice nuts, right? You know, they, you get the whales out there, but they're not like an, a, a market that, that you can expand on. Anyway, the whole problem with these aggregators, Embracer, Stillfront, and even Zynga at this stage is that they cannot grow organically, meaning they can't build new games and grow that way. The only way they're growing is through acquisition. So until that changes, there's just going to be there, there's going to be an Armageddon for all of these. And we're starting to see it with Zynga. Stillfront's down like half of what it used to be. And Embracer has been weak, but Embracer has two big games coming. Mm. So I'm going to be right on this for sure, ultimately. I'm already right about Stillfront in general. And when you see them report, their organic growth is going to be probably negative, ultimately. So um, I just checked so on acquiring these th type of companies does not instill any type of confidence, you know, that it's obscene, mm. right? So anyway, sorry, guys, it's Stillfront. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> As long as you end like that, as long as you end like that, it's a, positive, right? That's a big love from from Crescent. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, uh, the, I should, uh, Aaron, uh, Andrew in particular. I apologize, Andrew. So moving on. Let's. I, I uh, one one thing about the the Mina market is I I was uh, kind of talking to a, a PE fund a while back that was going to do kind of like a roll up strategy in Mina, and there's some really interesting stuff there, and I think that market is actually kind of attractive. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I. I don't know much about Joe Walker, but you know, in particular, but but you know, just the, the market in general seems pretty pretty vibrant. So I, I I could I could see that being an important place to invest. Well, a little known fact is I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I was there for four years, and I went back in 2000. And I have lots of friends that are, have done business and are doing business in Saudi Arabia. And I can say with relative certainty that it is a very lucrative <laughs> market in the Middle East with lots and lots of money, but also lots and lots of restrictions and lots and lots of craziness that goes on. So I, 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 yeah, you're right. I have to admit there is an opportunity there, but it is, it is landmine central, right? With all kinds of things. I don't want to go into it, but all right, moving on. Okay. All right. By the way, is Stillfront launching new games or do they only do roll-ups? Like, are these studios launching new games? Like, do you, are, how familiar are you guys with, with Stillfront? Like, I see them in the news every quarter. They acquire a couple of new companies, but I'm, I'm just not following their growth that much. I am covering them from the perspective of what's being reported in <laughs> App Annie and... Uh... And, uh, oh, did you say App Annie? Did you say Oh, 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 let's, as they call it, let's have a donkey bridge over to App Annie. This, this dropped super quietly last night. I, I think I got the scoop on this on Twitter mm -hmm. because I saw all the articles that were published uh, like on TechCrunch and, and wherever else were after I tweeted out. But SEC has charged App Annie and its former CEO with securities fraud. App Annie and the former CEO have agreed to pay a $10 million fine as part of the settlement. And this is the SEC's first ever enforcement against an alternative data provider. So my understanding of what has happened and the, the details were kind of light in the SEC press release. But, and, and keep in mind, I mean, I don't know if you, you all remember this or, you know, kind of were aware of it at the time, but the CEO of App Annie kind of just quietly stepped out, you know, to go spend more time with his family <laughs> uh, in, in, in sort of summer 2018. And there was never really any explanation for it. And I mean, from the outside looking in, it seemed that App Annie was doing well and, you know, they, they were launching new products and it, you know, it seemed like a company that was ascendant and it seemed strange that, that he would be stepping down. 
And uh, anyway, so it turns out that they had a program, and again, this is just my interpretation of it. I might not be getting the details perfectly uh, correct here, but my because again, the press release was was vague. But they used to have a program where you know App Andy was very expensive, and and basically like the base package didn't really provide you with that much. And if you wanted like the kind of all you can eat package, it was it was insanely expensive. I think it was something like it ran in like this in the seven figures a year. And but what they did was. They would offer you a discount, or they would even, I think, in some cases, give you totally free access if you basically gave them access to your data, right? So if you, if you, I think it was just through the SDK. If you integrated this SDK into your app, they got kind of full transparency into your data. They would give you discounted access to their service, right? And what they said was like, don't worry, this data that we collect, this data that we collect gets aggregated, right? It gets anonymized. No one's going to know it's your data, right? It doesn't, it doesn't flow into our system and get represented as, as sort of like. As, as the data that we report on your company, it gets sort of aggregated and, you know, and put through like an algorithm and, and it gets kind of modeled out, right? And so according to the SEC press release, that's not what was happening, that they actually were just basically directly s selling this data to their paying clients. And well, who are their paying clients? A lot of them are games companies that do like market research, a lot of them. And, and basically every single, you know, Eric can attest to this, every single sort of like hedge fund, you know, sort of alternative investor that invests in the space has an App Annie or a Sensor Tower account to track these companies, right, to make decisions on. And so these companies were essentially trading on confidential information. Now, they didn't know that. They, you know, they were, they were kind of told in the same way that, you know, this, this, this data is anonymized and modeled, but, but it wasn't. It was actually their real data that they shouldn't have had access to. I mean, this is basically confidential sort of like proprietary data. And so for that reason, the SEC charged both App Annie and the CEO, which seems kind of like, that seems important that the CEO personally got charged with securities fraud, which is a, which is a big deal. And there's some serious penalties that come along with that. But wouldn't, if they were charging him specifically, well, they're charging the company and him. Yeah, both. But it seems like, He's well, it seems like most likely maybe he was trading on the information personally. I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I I don't think it said that in the press release, but I mean, he, he personally has to pay a fine. So that part of the settlement is he's got to pay like 300K and he's barred from holding like a, you know, a director level position at a public company for some number of mm -hmm. years. I mean, there's, there's pe crap. penalties for him personally. Wow. And I think also in that SEC press release, it, it basically said that App Annie was sharing ideas with trading firms about how they could use the estimates in order to trade ahead of upcoming earnings announcements. That was directly from the SEC. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just kind of unacceptable behavior. <laughs> that's <laughs> just so outside. Of, it's just so outside of the bounds of what's you know of, of what's legal and acceptable. Yeah. Um, that okay. I, I thought that was that was a wild story. To yeah. Very quietly. Yeah. And yeah. I I I tweeted about it, and you know I just basically was summarizing the press release. I didn't have any commentary, and then I. Because I, I got pinged on the mobile dev memo slack about this, kind of like the second it dropped. And I wrote in, I, in the tweet thread, I wrote like, you know, hat tip to so-and-so for pointing this out on the mobile dev memo slack. And then like, well, I woke up this morning and a bunch of people from AppInity's marketing team had, had signed up to, for the mobile dev memo slack, I guess, to do some kind of damage control. But, you know, sorry, guys, the cat's out of the bag here. I don't know what else to say. It's the, it's the SEC. But the SEC puts a press release out. What are you going to do? <laughs> How yeah. much damage control can you do? Was that around the time when they changed the logo? Like, you remember it was like this lady and now it, and then they would change it to a diamond? Yeah. I think that might have been before. But, but yeah, I mean, they, they went through a whole kind of like corporate, you know, sort of rebrand. Well, well, you know, they'll bounce back. It's fine. 
<laughs> so, so last update that I have is 1047 games raises $100 million at $1.5 billion valuation. So there was actually a podcast that was released 24 hours from, from the recording of this one, where I sat down with the uh, CEO, Ian Pru. We talked about, you know, Splitgate. We talked about how they, how they launched the game, what's the future and so forth. So you can go and listen to that. But pretty interesting because the team size is, I think it's less than 40 at the moment. The game is in beta and there's no launch date put in. And I think I have some, some numbers here. So at the moment, I think this is a concurrent player base in Store Hut. And I think it's the uh, all-time high was 67,000 players, almost 68,000 players playing. And at the moment, it was like 8,700. So it has declined quite significantly since the moment. So I think they raised in a nearly perfect time. But, but, um, but yeah, now they have the war chest to do almost anything. So interesting. Uh, very, very big raise from, from a very junior studio. Like these are not, you know, the typical ex-Bungie, ex-Riot, ex X, you name who, but they're actually, you know, the CEOs, this is like the CEO's first job. So very, very interesting company. So if you haven't listened to the podcast, really suggest you check out the, uh, the podcast that is before this one. Those were my updates. Just quick ones from me. So Age of Kida has a new 4X from Lilith, just soft launch, pretty high production values. So it just looks like they're taking their 4X brand and bringing it to sci-fi, StarCrafty, something like this. Also, during the Apple event that just happened yesterday, you'll notice there's a couple clips there from Zynga's new, uh, sorry, Natural Motion and Zynga's new PvP arena game, which is Star Wars Hunters. And it looks kind of, oh, it looks like a solid free-to-play console game that's going to launch both on Switch. And it looks like it's trying to operate in, say, the hero MOBA shooter lane. So maybe Overwatch, Bleeding Edge, Paragon, Battleborn. These are the types of comps, but with... Star Wars and launching <laughs> Heaven help them. Heaven help them, yeah. dude. <laughs> All I have to ask Zynga is still like, why switch? <laughs> like, why only switch? Is it just a dipping your toe in console to say that you're console? Why not the other platforms? It just seems like an odd choice to to do that. But anyway. I think wasn't, uh, part of that was just optics, right? Because they announced that they were going to push into console and mm. handheld and stuff. And I think that was just... A sort of yeah. signal that they're diversifying away from mobile when mobile's becoming kind of more challenging. I, I, I felt like that was just signaling and, and kind of narrative. Yeah, so then are they just like soft launching it on Switch and then they see the big launch is when they go to Sony? I don't know. Seems like an odd launch. I mean, the other, maybe Nintendo gave money. Nah, Nintendo doesn't give people money. The, the speculation that I'm going to have here is around what's, the, what's their plan for live ops? What's their plan for monetization here? within this lane, right? Like what, what is Zynga bringing to that others haven't? So are they going to try to monetize off of say strategic options like gear or mods or something? Or are you trying to go with pretty much the Brawl Stars model of collecting characters and upgrading them? I think in general, this lane is pretty difficult to monetize in and build an effective live model. Just, and especially because they're going for higher production values, going cross platform, it only makes the cost of characters and modes that much higher. So I think this will be the challenge with the this game. Is, but this is part of the organic problem, right? Yeah. Like you're building games like this that can't possibly be successful. And, and that's where you're de dedicating all your resources to, you know, and, and yeah, good luck. You know, like I, the game looks, yeah. actually, we didn't even see the game. All no, no, we yeah. 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 There was just a reveal trailer, time. but like, but I mean, I, I'm sure the game is going to be beautiful. Kind of like this next game called Beat Star, which it's <laughs> amazing, right? God damn it. It's so fun. It's so innovative and fun. You know, it's a great game, right? But it's not making any money. <laughs> All right. So 
Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world, but they lack two key things, passion for games and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now, back to the episode. BeatStar. All right, let's zoom out a little bit. And one of, why I wanted to talk about BeatStar is not only because I got hooked to the game and, and was playing about playing the game and then ended up writing with, with again with Javier. Should we write like a couple of pages, just some notes? And then we ended up doing like 20 pages over the weekend. So I have to talk about it since I spent my weekend evenings on this. So anyway, Space Ape. So one of the things that we've been talking about Space Ape is, you know, genre focus. And, and since they kind of stopped making those build and battle, they really haven't had a genre focus. And why genre focus matters is you can build faster internal know-how. You understand what works, what doesn't in a specific genre. You can accumulate learnings and have a very clear understanding of the, when you focus on one specific genre, you can share a lot of features, a lot of code base that leads to faster development times, faster time to market. And also you'll have just clear benchmarks as you're launching new games because you're comparing to a very similar game that came in before. So you understand what's good and what's not. Now, Space Ape has traditionally, not traditionally, uh, Space Ape started as a football manager game. Then they made three build and battle games in a row that were relatively you know, relative hits. There was Samurai Siege, there was Rival Kingdoms, and then there was like a Transformer versions of Rival Kingdoms. And in fact, I think uh, according to, to the data that I checked out, I think Transformers, one of their build and battle games is still making about 80% of all the uh, publisher's revenue. So so they found their genre expertise, they focus on that one, and of course that genre kind of, yeah, they just stopped, stopped focusing on it. And since then they've been kind of all over the place, making all kinds of different games from, from racing games to like a coin master type of games to now a music game. And at the same time, you know, they are, they, they're still focusing on all kinds of different genres. I actually checked out what kind of open positions they have and they're looking for puzzle designers again. So that, that kind of shows us they're going to different directions. And actually at some point, 
it kind of feels like they've tried all the genres. So in the sense, they will be doubling down on something they've done before. So they will be actually uh, building on some kind of mastery. But let's move forward from Space Ape to the launch of this game. So why I think Beatsar was so interesting is because it had native cross-promotion with Supercell. They did use Supercell ID, so they share a lot of player data through. They 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 got cross-promotion from all the Supercell key titles. They got the PR from Supercell. Even like Supercell individual leads were, were giving this game a shout-out on Twitter and promoting that you should really go for it this and and as a as a result i think they're they're likely to cross maybe 9 million installs for the first month which is kind of surprising because you would assume that this type of game is highly accessible because it's it almost looks like an app with all this cross promotion but nevertheless i think it's going to do more than the previous music hit song pop which was the largest music game till date so what the game is, it, it really focuses on Western broad audience. It has a very arcadey form. It looks like an app more than a game, and it really focuses on collection gameplay using sort of a Clash-like metagame system. And it's very immers immersive because it's very demanding, and it requires like a full attention. The core loop is basically you play a song, you earn some stars, and those stars unlock you new because those stars go into a chest, and then that chest takes timer, so that basic basic stuff. And also you can you can earn so sorry you can earn points, and they start unlocking chests, and then you can earn stars that basically unlock the sort of a, like a trophy road, and they unlock you new songs. But that requires you to really grind through the existing songs and trying to master them. The uh, when it comes to progression. Actually, having now played it for a week, like I was all gung-ho about this game, but now I'm already lapsing because the progress stalls really quickly. And then you're grinding like a maniac, a song that you might even hate. It's not like, you know, I like playing Soldier Boy, but, but some of these songs I really hate, like this alternative rock music, I hate it. Nevertheless, I'm trying to like listen to this song for like 15 times in a row, trying to tap the, uh, the buttons in the right order just to get the star. And my frustration level is off the roof and I'm like, fuck this game. So the worst thing is that you can't really practice. So meaning that you can only play when you have empty chess slots. But as soon as you have all your chess slots full, you can't play the game. So like in Clash Royale, they allow you to play. And if you earn more chess, you can pay to open up the previous one. And this one, they're like, stop playing. You're done. Uh, you have to wait for the chest or pay. And also they have events, but at least when I played it, it wasn't active. So I'm kind of frustrated because, you know, I tried to progress really fast to unlock the events and they were actually there. So when it comes to monetization, I mean, we've talked to... to to exhaustion that this game is not making that much money compared to installs. The revenue per download is quite low. And then really it's because the monetization is sort of a direct opposition with the main premise of the game. So you discover new songs and interact with them, but you monetize by selling songs. So it kind of decreases player accessibility to them and therefore it removes the reason to play. So as a consequence, the game, the game monetization is not a booster of fun. It's more like a blocker of fun. And in a way, like like the way Javier put it, it's like an anti-consumer version of Clash Royale's chess systems, where where in Clash Royale you would pay to skip to get more value for your play, and you you pay to increase the fun. But in Beatstar, you actually pay so that the game doesn't take the fun away. So you essentially, you have to pay to play. Now, as I said, re revenue per download is about fifty cents in tier one countries on iPhone, 
Android is a little bit lower, but of course Android has way more installs. So that kind of leads to usually lower revenue per download. And they haven't really done ad monetization properly. At the moment, like you're watching really two ads that give you tremendous amount of value. So one ad is is in the store where it gives you one chest for free if you watch an ad. And the second ad is like you can open up a three hour chest slot for free with one ad. And they basically limit it to these two ads instead of like in typical games with chest, they would allow you to watch several ads in order to unlock an ad. So it's kind of weird that they haven't looked at benchmarks in ad monetization, in these type of games. On the opportunity side, you know, they have the top of the final opportunity because of this is music. So there's plenty of influencers. Javier was very bullish on, on sort of a subscription or like a game pass model to monetize this game i believe it i would have bought the uh, the battle pass for this type of a game to play it longer to get more rewards and of course you know currently it lacks pretty much all the social features and all the competitive features so so those those could you know be of of, of good use but as a takeaway so just to finalize it i think if this becomes a major hit and now it's a big if since we're seeing more and more numbers this wouldn't be only great for space ape that hasn't had a hit in, you know and actually ever since they they were they were hitched up with supercell but this would also prove that supercell can rub its magic to its portfolio companies as well because they've really put on their to put their weight behind Space Ape here. Like they've done nothing like this before to any of the companies that, that is in their portfolio. In fact, this game is a collaboration between the Space game, Space Ape games in London and Supercell in San Francisco. So the Space Ape team is responsible for develop and operation of the game while the Supercell San Francisco is responsible for marketing of this game. So that's where all this cross promotion and this close corroboration comes from. I think personally that this game was launched too soon globally. The revenue per download was just not there. It was still too low. And there's a lot of features that were clearly missing. And when you when you go to like the open career positions at Space App, you notice that they have a music lead position open. And this person owns the end-to-end -end song approval process from researching rights holders to requesting and tracking approvals from labels and publishers, as well as organizing payments. We're talking about hundreds of songs here, perhaps thousands over the next few years. I really hope that, that they already have a music lead or two, and this is an additional one, because that sounds like a lot of a lot of work, and if they're looking for this person now, when the game has launched, it's it's kind of kind of late. But overall, I know you guys hate this game, but for me, it, it was a, it was like one of the highlight games. Like if I would say top ten games from this year, this was one of it. I had a good time. There was good music. I was vibing. I did unlock Soldier Boy. I told it on Deconstructor Fun Swag Channel that I'm gonna stop playing only after I unlock Soldier Boy. I got it. It's a, it's a great song. I vibe with it. It was too difficult for me to five star. But, but yeah, I think these type of games should thrive in the mobile market. And, and if this game doesn't make it to be a big, to a big hit, that's a sad. That's a sad thing, in my opinion. Why do you think we hate it? <laughs> we don't hate because it. every time I raise it, yeah. you're like, don't talk about this game. This is mice nuts. This is stupid. But I, I kind of look at it at a macro level. Like, the like, think about I, it. I, I'm, like, not, is, I'm definitely not arguing that it's yeah. that it's a fun yeah. game, right? Yeah. Um, but, but, okay, this is a business podcast, mm -hmm. right? There has to be some type of materiality threshold to discuss things on this podcast. Apple getting their ass handed to them is far more fucking relevant than BeatStar, which has made $500,000 on 5 million downloads. Right? It's like, there's like, the, you know, there's got to be some weight to like what we talk about. And this game is not a contemporary game that can make money on a free-to-play market. It's not material for Supercell. 
It's likely only gotten the downloads because of cross-promotion or crazy unprofitable spend. And sure, it's fun. It's a fun game. But there's nothing here really to see here that is material for the business of video games. So that's why I don't like it. I want to I want to jump to the next uh, segment because that's, <laughs> that's, that's the, Eric's already falling asleep. That's, that's the that's the meat. Yeah, we get, let's get to the meat. Let's let, let, the all right, all right. <laughs> no more appetizers. Let's talk about Apple. Go. <laughs> okay. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games, and I'm sure you got the people part covered. But how fantastic your true your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep you all to keep all your server code in C sharp means life is simpler for your programmers, and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to beamable.com because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. All right, so. The, the headline reads, Apple must allow other firms' forms of in-app purchases rules the judge Epic versus Apple. Now, this is a very complex thing that they're talking about. And, and, and actually, the ruling itself is probably less relevant than what the ruling could potentially mean going forward, right? I got a lot of grief. I, got, I was getting grief on this. Like, I, I missed this. Like, I got this wrong, right? Which is somewhat true, right? I didn't think that they would actually you know, judge that, they, that you could do different purchase stuff. But the main point of this case is that Epic did not prove nine of its 10 claims against Apple and that Apple is not a, mo a monopoly in mobile gaming. So ultimately, Apple relatively won this in, in, from a, that legal perspective. But how much pain did this verdict actually cause you? I'm just kind of interested. Like, how many people <laughs> are going to you and be like, you didn't predict this? Because look, this was a, like, I, I went to Joe's blog, Joe Kim's blog, He's dancing because he said, look, I, <laughs> I gave it a 20% chance and look how right I was, right? Like <laughs> most experts gave this a 0% chance, right? Or very, very low. And I think that was right at the time. It all really came down to the judge and whether they'd be, say, liberal or literal with their judgment. So I don't know. Like, How, yeah, how much it, grief it, can you really give? Yeah. Epic, Epic absolutely lost. There was no... Epic yeah, they lost. They... they yeah, yeah. But but on that yeah, on the one clause, right? On the one clause, I don't think but everybody that, would have predicted that. Uh well, who yeah, but you know what? Apple had already gave that concession up to Reader Apps uh, a week ago. Right? So this is okay, now they're applying it to No, everybody. no, 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 no. See, this is where this is where it gets a little bit complicated because you're talking about pushing them into a into a website thing, but that's not what the what the decision really that's what the injunction It's says. up to interpretation what the decision said, but we'll get to it in a minute. But, but no, but, but it's fine, but we can get to that in a second. But but Epic lost this big time. Ep the Epic did not win at all. Yes. They, they, they are appealing right. and they had to pay $6 million to Apple. There's no interpretation of this where Epic won. No, well, I don't know. Well, okay. They, they lost this, this case specifically, and, and we'll move on from this. 
But but and and that's what we predicted, and we predicted it based upon what the lawyer said, which was they didn't present a good case. The case was fucking horrific, right? The only thing that came up on this was the fact that that the judge was sympathetic, and that's the whole point. So the judge was sympathetic about Epic's underlying argument, even though they didn't believe that they actually proved anything in the court. So they they but they say that it did violate the California unfair competition law through its like anti-steering rules, which is like which is a policy that restricts uh, developers from telling users they can buy it somewhere else, right, outside of their ecosystem. And so with that ruling, that actually does set us up for some interesting potential legislation and and or other cases to come down the pipe, right? So in a sense, I think personally that Epic may have lost this battle and they certainly didn't get anything that they wanted. But because if Apple was considered a monopoly, dude, it would be mayhem. Right, the platform would be completely opened up. Right, there'd be new stores, new transaction system. The whole ecosystem would be creamed. Right, so, so, but I, but, but even though they didn't win that, they still put a big chink in the armor. And and again, I think this will help other lawsuits and other legislation from the U.S. and other governments that are coming out against Apple. Does that make sense? Yeah, but yes, yes, sure, of course. Like, yeah, in in like, uh, you know, it's 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 part of uh, this this uh, one more domino to fall, right? But again, I would say that the the reader app distinction that they made this now that applies to games. I don't see how that's any different. Like they said, you may link out to an alternative payment system on the web. That's but that's what the injunction said too. Right, but it, it's a little bit unclear as to whether they meant within the app or or redirecting to the web, like. Like, I think the capitulation that Apple was saying was that, sure, you can send them off to the web, but which, which is just super, you know, like lots of friction, right? Yeah, but cool. if you can build a transaction system within the app, I think that's ultimately what, 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 what they would allow, but right? That's and not, then that, that, that's far less friction. But I, I don't think there's any consensus that that's what the judge was saying. I think she was saying you can link to an alternative payment system outside of the app, which would be on, a, on the web. Yeah, I that okay. So I read lots of different reports of of how it was hard to say. But actually, in some ways, what I really want to take away from this is that all of the the the, the specific points of this particular lawsuit are almost irrelevant to some degree because ultimately it's going to get appealed. It's already being appealed by Epic, and and it may get appealed by Apple. I don't know. But what what I do think is it creates the momentum for all this other stuff that's going on to go against Apple, right? On this and and. So I think, again, we have to pull back from the decision and what, what does this mean for the broader fight against Apple, right? And, but, and, and again, like, you know, and, and, what, and, and the one thing that I did get some flack on, and, and I actually I totally agree with this point, is that we really need to think of it this from, from a framework perspective of, of, of what, what, what does the 30% actually represent? And so it's funny, this exec from Facebook who, who, who would not like to be named, basically says that anybody considers this 30% a transaction fee is kind of a moron, right? <laughs> he said it should be considered a distribution fee, you know, a more broad definition of what this feed is, right? So and basically, indirectly, he was calling me a moron, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I've been saying that a lot, right? It is not necessarily a transaction fee. And and, 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 and that's why, like, you have to really kind of think of it about what this 30% is and what Apple is actually really, truly entitled for, right? And so, so I, I don't know if I'm going to go through this, but, but ultimately, it's, 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 the, it's the retail, distribution, transaction, platform, hosting, and bandwidth. Like, it's all these components of what that 30% represents. And what we're focused on is this 30% as, as a tax uh, for the thing. But 
they are, are, are owed something. And that judge definitely said that. Like, they, they, there's no way it's going to go to zero, right? They basically said that the, they, they are owed something for the platform, you know, the host, all the things that they do on the store, right? So that's not going to go away. So I guess what I'm doing... But the, what the judge did say, though, is that the fact is that there's no competition, so we don't know what the services that they provide, what the real true value of the services that they do provide, right? So anyway... Anyway, it, that's where it gets a little bit complicated. But I, I think what I would just focus more attention on is that what does it mean going forward, right? So this, I don't think this particular case has is, is going to have any type of implications directly against that per se. But I, I don't think that Apple can dig in here at this point, though. I think there's too many forces going against them. And they could just, I mean, one option is for them to simply just reduce the fee to 30 to 15%, which represents what they are doing well, which is creating a platform, creating a store, having the hosting bandwidth, et cetera, and, and you know, the small transaction fee. I mean, that's possible. But I don't think, uh, I don't think it going down to 20% is going to be enough. I think it has to be sub 20% to make, you know, because the, 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 what they provide as a service, the store is a joke. Removing IDFA was real damage to the platform. They'll likely see IP blocking in the next year. So exactly what value are they providing for that 30% you know, across all that different way of dis the distribution fee as opposed to transaction fee. And the other op option is basically to, op to force them to open up the entire ecosystem, which just seems very unlikely, right? That they will actually do that. You know, it doesn't, it, it, the, the, the fact is getting a fee down for Apple to zero just seems almost impossible. But, but this is a restriction under the current laws that we see, right? If there's new legislation, anything can happen. So that's why it's hard to predict, right? So if Klobuchar and those guys come up with an idea and a new law that prohibits uh, them from charging or allows others to create stores on this ecosystem, that's like, it's, it's like a brave new world, right? But so, I don't know. That, that's why it gets a little bit complicated. So even though that Epic lost, I still think they actually could win in the, in, the, in the public opinion and new lawsuits that come, legislation in South Korea, legislation in Europe, you know, the EU is, is going after Apple and, 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 and the US. So I think this creates a little bit more ammunition. All right, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. I, and, and I've been trying to think about this a lot over the last few months, few days, but you know, it's, it's just hard. Yeah, I mean, I think, what do you look, think, the Eric? Way, the way I think about this is that Epic I think knew they were going to lose and they did lose. I think their goal here was to put a big spotlight on Apple's practices and get and get a lot of public attention to them, which they did with through discovery, right? All those emails, everyone talking. I mean, yeah. this was a major news thread for our and and to just contribute, right? Contribute to flicking one more domino down, right? And I think what we still got left is we still got the the EU decision or the remedies in the Spotify case because they already just the EU already said or the, the EC already said that we view Apple's behavior as monopolistic, right? And they just haven't yet sort of announced what the what the remedies are going to be. Then we've got the Open App Markets Act, which I'm not really that um, optimistic about. I mean, I've heard that that's kind of like it was pushed out, but not a lot of support, and, and, and there's not like a whole lot of optimism that it's going to go anywhere. Maybe some potential intervention by the FTC, but I feel like they're more focused on like the privacy and, and you know aspect of, of you know the sort of digital, you know, 
marketplaces and which, you know, so I don't know. I, I mean, I think, you know, we, we've seen a lot of activity though in the last just three weeks, right? We saw the Japanese FTC decision. We saw South Korean legislation, you know, and then and then now this and, you know, plus the, the class action lawsuit that Apple settled. So there's already been like a lot of activity. I, I don't know if there's more to come. I mean, maybe this is just picking up steam or maybe this was sort of like the final domino to fall, which was allowing these links out for all apps and not just reader apps. I think we'll see. But yeah, I mean, Epic contributed broadly to a fight here, but they, they absolutely lost this particular case. I think this kind of dovetails pretty well with my kind of article today, which was an article that I wrote. It's called The App Store is a Game Store. Apple should recognize this. And I think another thing that came out of this ruling, it's 185 pages, but like it's really interesting reading. I think it's, I would encourage people to, to, but I think it just kind of, it revealed a lot about the app store and, and what it looks like as a business to Apple, right? Forget about the ecosystem for developers and think about it, you know, try to take the perspective of Apple and as a, as a business, what is the app store? And so I think a few things that everyone that works in gaming intuitively knew were explicitly stated in the Epic Games versus Apple ruling by Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers. One is that Apple's app store revenue, which is, and when I say that, I mean the revenue that Apple receives as a result of operating the app store, not the not the revenue that's generated by apps, is dominated by games, right? It's, it's a, Apple is a, the App Store is a games store. That's what it is. That's how Apple, that's the revenue that, rece that Apple receives is, is generated by games, right? So this is quoting from the ruling. Generally speaking, on a revenue basis, gaming apps account for approximately 70% of all App Store revenues. This 70% of revenue is generated by less than 10% of all App Store consumers. Now, Everyone that works in gaming knows that, right? I mean, Miska knows that, Adam knows that, Eric knows that, I know that. If you've worked in games, you know that. You know what the distribution of LTVs look like. But I think this was kind of like a sort of eye-opening moment for a lot of just, just pundits and journalists and, and people that cover the App Store. So part of what accounts for this disproportionate revenue capture by games is that games are very popular. People like playing games. The iPhone is a, is a great device to play games on. And part of what accounts for it is that some of the largest scaled apps simply don't transact through the app store. Think about Netflix, Spotify, Lyft, Uber, Airbnb, Skyscanner, DoorDash, Instacart, etc. Open up your phone and pick out the, the apps that you use the most or sort of like the apps that, that or just try to think off the top of your head. You know, the, the, what do you think the most popular apps in the world are? Chances are, if they're not a game, they don't transact through the app store. They generate a lot of revenue. But they don't, they don't actually contribute any revenue to Apple. Apple doesn't make any money off of them, right? So as a business, the App Store is a games distribution platform. Apple has either explicitly or practically created exemptions for every category of app except for games and utility apps, right? So, you know, one variant of that would be like a flashlight app, right? And if they have in-app purchases, that, those go to Apple. Another is just like a Tinder, right? Dating, you know, that's all like digital products that you're buying. And so there's all IEP based and and Apple gets its cut. But any app that doesn't fulfill a purchase digitally, right, like an Uber, you buy something but it's fulfilled in the real, or that is a reader app, which is basically a Frankenstein's monster term at this point that provides broad flexibility in exempting companies from needing to use IEPs to monetize, that's Netflix, Spotify, the list goes on, either generates zero revenue for the app store or does so only superficially. So for example, Snapchat and Facebook both offer coins for purchase, but these aren't meaningful amounts of revenue to those companies relative to their core businesses, but they are monetized as IEPs, right? So if you, I watch a lot of Call of Duty streamer content and Facebook app, and you can buy coins and you can, you know, send coins to your favorite streamers. You buy those coins with an IEP. The, the, the IEP prompt pops up, you double click the power, and that's an IEP, but that's not, to Facebook, that's nothing, right? So in 13 years of operating the App Store, Apple has created this absurd gerrymandered map of app categories that isn't really important. 
if you take a step back and realize that the App Store is a games distribution business. We've gone through this whole process over the last few years of clarifying what's a reader app and making these exemptions for reader apps and thinking about all these different apps that don't really have to pay, you know, uh, or don't have to include IAPs or they have to do it in a weird way or they're not allowed to link out to their subscription page, but everyone knows they have a subscription page and you can't open the app. They went through that whole drama with hey.com. You can't open any, the app unless you're logged in and all that stuff. And none of that really matters. They don't make money from these apps anyway. Why not let them link out? Why not let them advertise the fact that they have a subscription page? Because those companies aren't paying them anyway. So why not just treat all apps the same? If the App Store is a games distribution business, focus on games, which is where they make the vast majority of their money, and treat every single app the same. So after this ruling, Apple has to let app developers link out to alternative payment methods. So let everyone do that and charge everyone the platform fee on IAPs, Netflix, Spotify, etc. They're not paying you anyway. Now they can link to the subscription and account management websites that all of their customers were already using. These customers don't need the link anyway. If they had a link or didn't have a link, it's probably not going to impact their business. Maybe there's a 5% upside there. Everyone knows Netflix. Everyone knows Spotify. Uber and Lyft and Airbnb are totally exempted anyway. And this doesn't impact them at all, at all right? They're still not going to have to pay any fee on their transactions, right? So that leaves games. And, and we've had this discussion. Some games will be able to divert users to a website to make purchases. Some games, you know, my, my sense is it's going to be sort of a very few number of games that can do that. And the amount of revenue that they can divert is going to be kind of a small proportion. But ultimately, little about the way the App Store operates has changed, even in this ruling or, or even in the, the sort of the J Japanese FTC ruling with reader apps. Nothing is really changing. The only way that things fundamentally change is if Apple is forced to allow an alternative payment method in the app, right, where it's you either choose to make the Apple IAP or you choose to make the payment through Stripe right there in the app. You don't have to click out. You don't have to do anything else. And that's ultimately going to be what sort of foundationally changes this. Now, that's probably going to have to come through legislation. Or, you know, I don't know, maybe there's another big lawsuit teed up. But, yeah, but I don't know. Apple never, Apple is never going to choose to do that, right? So that's the big change possibility. But what, what causes that, that seems uncertain to me. But I, I, I guess my point is, is that the, this case in particular, the Epic case, was not as specific as it should be. It's, a pet, it's up to interpretation, but it's, it's going there and, 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 not, and having the friction of going off 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 platform in order to make it or off off the the app i don't think that's going to appeal appease the you know the powers that be on this and so that i think ultimately what what will end up happening i think either you or i disagree or 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 maybe not i don't know is that we will see a some type of platform fee but but a much smaller fee and then you'll be able to transact within your app any way you want right whether you go through the app store or you go through the the sorry go through apple or you go through your own system and then the other thing that I keep telling people that I, maybe they don't understand or, or just not aware of is that what, what, what the pushback is, is like, how are they going to do their own transaction systems? And, and you know, and, and that there's some truth to that, like building it in Russia or Croatia or, you know, Brazil and stuff. That's fucking can be get very goddamn complicated. Right. And it's not fun. Right. But the reality of it is, is that the Western publishers, all they care about is tier one English. Right. So if you just do U.S., U.K., Australia, in Canada, dude, you're you're more than three quarters of the way there, right? And and those are easy, right? Relatively, and so systems like Exola and others, you know, Exola and Unity is talking about doing this. Like, I, I think behind the scenes, if, if you talk to the people I'm talking to, like this shit's already being planned for. Like, I think even Apple, I think thinks that this is not this is this is this is where it's going, right? And so they're preparing for it as well. And what what the what the new 
store looks like when you can do transactions off the store, right? I, 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 did, I honestly, it, it just feels like that, that's, that's what's ultimately going to happen. And, and, and the publishers are going to be all on board. Now, does that mean they get a straight 30% improvement in margin? No, it doesn't, right? A lot of that dollars will be probably allocated to UA, right? To fight this IDFA crap, right? And, and, and IP blocking and all the stuff that Apple's doing. But Apple, Apple set this in motion since the beginning, you know, that, that they, don't, they don't deserve 30%, even with all the things that they do from a platform perspective, but they deserve something. And, and, and I think ultimately we will see alternatives or, or perhaps maybe Apple will just, you know, create more of a flat type fee as opposed to percentage of in-app purchases or something. I don't know. But that, you're right, that's going to have to be legislated because under the current laws in the, in, the, in the books, there's just nothing that can be done at this stage, I think. My, my guess is that there, there's a team at Apple, like an accounting team, that ex, like they, they all accept that like at some point there will be in-app alternatives for purchasing, right? They accept that. That's, at some point, that's going to happen. And they're like, how much, like, how much do we, like, we could, we could do that right now. We could implement it right this second. But if we don't and we fight it, like what's the upside, right? Like if we, and we just kind of make these incremental concessions, like over the course of the next two years, how much more, I, I, I imagine they have that model somewhere. There's like a cell model that says, okay, Epic case, we give in, or we're gonna, we're gonna, we, this is, our, our sort of control is gonna get chipped away over time. And the, the, the sort of value of us just fighting it and having to give in in two years versus just say, hey, you know, we're gonna proactively gonna allow alternative payments in apps right now like what's the value of that is you know i'm sure they understand that just from like yeah a, an economic perspective right and what was i going to say yeah the p also we've talked about this in the podcast before like the pr hits that they're taking are not good for their brand right and so as more and more lawsuits call them anti-competitive then then customers are going to believe they're anti-competitive right yeah. it's like that's the way it works and so they don't want that so they want they're going to have to appease people ultimately i think anyway but, and then and then the other big part, which I think we've talked about before, is that for Apple, even though it's a lot of money, it's still fucking mice nuts, right? Yeah. So even if it went to zero, right, I think it's like a 5 or 10% hit on earnings, which is not insignificant by any stretch. But they could survive, right? So, and it's likely not going to go to zero, ultimately. Right. But so, like, I talked to uh, some analysts on Wall Street that were, you know, super bullish on Apple and, and didn't really agree with me in terms of where this is headed. And... And, and, and that was their point that, that for Apple, it doesn't matter. I mean, Apple's still trading at an all time high, right? Yeah. We saw a brief, brief bump in all these stocks with the assumption that they were going to get saved to 30%. And then the stocks just went right back down because everyone's realized, wait a minute, <laughs> this doesn't really mean that yet. Right. But, but I think they're wrong in the sense that long-term, I think it does mean that. Yeah. I, bought, we'll see. I bought Apple calls the day that iOS 14.6 went or 14.5 went live and those are up a hundred percent. So it's like, yeah, I don't agree with this, but I might as well make some money on it. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 So anyway, we'll see. I think, I, I, I do think this is all ultimately going to be a win for the ecosystem and for publishers. And I think Apple is finally, you know, getting their due after being a bad actor for so many years <laughs> with publishers. So, it's, it's been time, right? It's been coming. You know, everyone bitches and moans about Apple and like the Gestapo that if you actually talk out against them, they'll come after you. And now the, I think the public, public opinion is going to be on our side to some degree as the publishers still remain silent, right? You don't hear them saying anything, right? Because they know the overlords at Apple will just come down on them, you know? So anyway, we'll, we'll see. 
I'm, 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 I'm jubilant about this. I, I do think we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, you've been you've been rooting for Apple for a very long time. So, uh, but 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 I was right. So any of you guys out there telling me I was wrong? I was not wrong. I was totally right. You're on this. never wrong. I've been saying <laughs> no. I am wrong a lot. <laughs> But I'm more right than wrong. Yeah. Otherwise, I could never be successful at this business, right? <laughs> but I was right about this. I was saying that Apple, that they're coming after them. They're, 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 it's only a matter of time. Like the the coyotes and the 800 pound gorilla, you know. Yeah, we're we're gonna have a, a podcast following up actually this week with with Chris Hewish, uh, who's president of Exola. And Mr. Eric Suford is going to come in and, and talk more about this. So I don't have too many too many things to add because I'll just I'll just eat up all the content from the upcoming podcast. But this is definitely definitely very interesting, especially the effect on the ecosystem that this case, as well as any future cases, may have. So so we'll be following closely, and and especially in the podcast, we'll be talking about like what should studios really do in this type of situation think about you know these changes not only now but but in the future and how to prepare against it and how to capitalize on those in the future so interesting stuff yeah i mean the the only the only thing that i'll throw more out there mm -hmm. is that this is again a benefit to the big like this is not going to help the small publisher at all it's actually even worse for small publishers generally speaking so you know the only people that are going to be able to you know invest in any type of infrastructure to support payments are likely the bigger ones and the rest will probably default to apple right i mean that's that what is what i would but, guess anyway. but isn't there plenty of different type of payment service providers like anything from stripe to exola that that help to to deal with these type of things yeah but you know the cost of implementation may not even be worth it yeah for something cause, small because keep in mind that apple handles not just the payments, but like the chargebacks and like subscriptions, yeah. like recurring subscriptions and stuff. And now there are payments providers that do all that stuff, but like it's not it's not trivial, right? I mean, I've always made the argument that like, look, you know, Fortnite skipped Google Play to launch on Android, right? And you know, they had so many problems. They had problems with fraud. They had problems with just people finding the game and understanding how to do side loading. I mean, now some of that over time, like if this became a norm would go away but like ultimately they relented and went on to google play because google play really does provide an apple the app store provide a lot of value to to, to developers now yeah maybe it's not 15 percent or sorry maybe it's not 30 percent whatever we could you could reasonable people could disagree it probably isn't but it's it like Tarek's point it's something it's something you can't argue that right and they do and then also consider like all the aspects of like discovery and the content curation you know there's a lot of people that work on the app store right and then all the app store reps that yeah. you know are like kind of helping teams just with any any sort of like element of strategy launching a game doing all that kind of stuff so i mean they, they provide a lot of value it's just everyone wants to pretend that their game would be successful you know if it was published you know kind of totally independently of the app store and that's just that's a fantasy but i would argue though discovery and downloads are not being driven by the app store primarily they're being developed driven by facebook right or you know Irons, you know what I mean? Like, like UA, right? So it, it's not like a GameStop, which is basically bringing in customers that are looking at your product, right? The, the store is a joke, right? From that perspective. And, no, it is. Um, I agree. I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not what they offer. They don't offer discovery. They're yeah, really bad at right. discovery. They so, should be better. But they do offer, they yeah. offer featuring, which is different, right? And now they do, that is about, that is about. But the featuring is, is irrelevant these days, though, right? From the perspective totally, of launching it's not, new totally, games, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a company launcher. It's not a business builder like it used to be. 
it's not what it used to be. Yeah, yeah like the know. best best featuring ever was when Clash Royale launched. Do you guys remember when yeah, it was yeah. with the previous App Store and they yeah. locked it for Clash Royale for a they, week? They, they, and every <laughs> single every single banner was Clash yeah, Royale. Yeah, like you couldn't yeah. open up the page without yeah. downloading Clash Royale. And yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah, that's over. I, I'd love to have that, that feature. Like, Twenty-five million, fifty million dollar gift to. It, I mean, yeah, well, not a gift. Like, think about how much Supercell paid them before that through the all the uh, the revenue share, the thirty percent. I think that was uh, that was the least what they could have done. But <laughs> but uh, but yeah, now no, they I mean, in the app store, you have yeah, to tell a story about yourself, about your development, put in some photos yeah, of like, you sitting on yeah, like different chairs, and here's our art, and like, can we get please featuring? <laughs> we make games. Who the fuck puts editorial in a store? How many times do I have to rant about this, dude? Every time I think about it, I get so fucking annoyed. Like, how much they screwed up that store. It's a bunch of IGN editors that went in there and created some kind of, like, bastardization of a store. It's ridiculous. Like, I, why, is it that, why is it that way? Why is it still that way? It's remarkable. You know, not providing any value whatsoever. It's pretty though. I do have to say, it's pretty. It's nice to use. And since you, Eric, you talked about the uh, the consultation and so forth, I do have to have to give a shout out to Google. Like, like they they help. Like, there's there's a lot of people working at Google. They cons- consult game teams and, and studios, and they provide a lot of like very actionable information about that are that are genre focused and, and so forth. So I haven't. I don't know Maybe. if Apple does it. At least I haven't seen it. But Google definitely does it. I. You know what? I want. You know what I want to happen? I want gangster. I want a Google to go gangster and just say, "Hey, we're doing ten percent, ten percent, right across the board." <laughs> F you, Apple. Like we don't give a shit. You know how much immaterial this money is to to Google? It's like nothing, right? It's like it's like a fart in the wind, dude. And so, like, let's let's let the, them go gangster and go ten percent and just circumvent this whole fucking thing. And then Apple's going to have to respond, right? Because then they're going to look like the douche. But it's also nothing to Apple. Like, so, so why would they compete on something that is not really like even important for them? Like Apple's like, digging in, man. They're, they're digging in to some degree. Yeah, but it's. A, it's I don't know. I think they're digging in just for the sake of a print, not not for the for the really the the effect on the bottom line. And I wouldn't say you know, like. You know, I I, I I think ten percent is fair. That's what I think is fair. All yeah. right, let's get out of here. I, I think I've talked about this enough. Um, all right, I know all these guys think I'm wrong. So, we'll thank see. you, thank you everybody for listening and tuning in. We missed Adam's article, but that's going to be the first one for the next week. We're going to talk about deep games for the masses. Article written by the amazing Joachim Ockren from Lead Game Developers. So we're going to start off with that. And Adam is going to tee off, and that's going to be in the next week's Twigs. For now, thank you, everybody, for listening, for tuning in every week. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We do. Even Eric Chris does. So (laughs) have a good one. (laughs) Bye.